Well, good day, everyone, and welcome to I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist podcast. I'm Troy, and this is my co-host, equal in billing, Brian or Brian. Brian. I often get brain. I think I've said this before. People, because spellcheck doesn't pick up brain. Yeah, well, they obviously don't know you. They don't. And but I've, I'm flattered every time I get an email. Dear brain. Yeah, I've actually seen that a number of times when I've write, written you emails and and things like that. I've seen brain come up, but I change it because I don't want to give you the wrong idea. No, absolutely not. I, I will remain the daft one, and you can be the learned scholar who loves to read. No, no, you're the, you're the touchy-feely one with the amazing radio voice. That's who you <laughs> are. You know, the, oh, I work in, you know, what, what do you say? I work in social, well, I don't know, what, what do you call it when you, when you tell people? I don't know. All I say is love songs and dedication, and this one goes out to you, Sharon. Brilliant. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever see that? comedy show years ago where they, I think it was the D-Generation or something, and it was a group of radio DJs having lunch, and they were all sitting there, and they're all in these, you know, leather jackets and all this kind of stuff, and he, he was like, you know, how's your week been? Oh, yeah, the week's been great. It's 12 degrees downtown right now, and they were doing all this. Sort of <laughs> I, I do like it. I, I think it could have been D-Gen. I think, I think you're right, or The Late Show, one of those. Yeah. And for you international listeners, that was a great comedy show in Australia in the 90s. We used to rush home from youth group on a Saturday night to watch it. Mm, yeah, and, and for, if you're not from Australia, don't even bother looking it up because it's very parochial and you probably won't get it. But, hey, we have gone fortnightly, which I don't think we sort of announced up until this point, but we've gone fortnightly with our releases. Yeah, surprise. Um, we did announce it on our Facebook group, but we didn't uh, didn't give any pre-warning to listeners. It, it, I guess it just makes it a little bit more manageable for us. It, it does take a fair bit of energy to do these podcasts. There are... Uh, obviously a few technical things in the background that Troy takes care of and there's a lot of work in those but also there's a bit of an, an emotional toll sometimes also the chasing around and getting guests and then confirming guests and getting times that work like it all takes a lot of time and on top of that we both have busy careers and families so fortnightly is good for now. Yeah, fortnightly. And for those of you overseas that don't know what fortnightly means, it means every two weeks. Is that not an international term? Fortnite? No, I think I think the the game Fortnite has brought it to the attention of a lot of people. But yeah, once upon a time, you would say to to some people about fortnightly, and they didn't know what it means. Do you know where it comes from? Fortnightly? No. Fourteen nights. Fortnightly. That's actually where it comes from. Yeah. I feel that, see. This is why I'm not called Brian. I'm called Brian because I should have got that. <laughs> like it's it's fairly fairly simple. It is it is obvious at first, but if you don't know, you can't see it. But you know what sometimes confuses me when people talk about weeks is they'll say, oh, what are we doing on Tuesday week? You've ever heard that sort of thing? I, oh, I totally fuck? get that. But again, you're a lot of your overseas people won't get that one. That's very Aussie to say, you know, Tuesday week, meaning Tuesday in a week's time. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's confusing because you could say that on the Monday night and then you say Tuesday week, and it, but it's Tuesday the next week, not the next day after that. And it's, it, I still get confused. I have to stop and think and go, what the fuck are you talking about? And I'm Australian. Mm, so let's be clear that you are definitely an I before an A. I am an I before an A. Definitely no a brain here. Yeah. Actually, Born. that's not true. You're very clever. Very clever that's man indeed. There was a girl that we both used to go to church with who had a very Australian accent and she used to call me Brian. Brian. And I, I felt like a tin of tuna in Brian. So, <laughs> <laughs> so brain and born. 
Very good. I went to a dentist in China, in rural China, and he told me to wash my teeth in brine. And I thought, you know what? That's great, good advice, but I think I'll stick with the toothpaste. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brine, brine's fine, though. Brine's fine. But don't wash your teeth in me. No, I'll try not to. We just want to mention to people that you can still support us on Patreon. You can, and Patreon as well. I mean, it's the it's the eternal argument around that, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think the guy who said we had to call it Patreon to continue to sponsor i don't know that he still sponsors oh well he's dead to us i have no idea actually i've got no idea it's like uh, patreon it's it's patreon but if you wanted to be patreon um come back just just pledge just yeah. pledge some money and we'll say patreon um but for now we'll patronize you also our socials lots of socials our facebook group just continues to grow there is nigh on 500 members in there now so that's a hell of a lot of people yeah, exactly. And saying nigh on 500, mm. that shows you do have a brine. I mean a brain. <laughs> I do have a brine. But I, I did actually think about it before I said it. And I, it just it beget me into that more biblical mood, nigh on. Yeah, right. King James. King, yes, I, I, I say it. And Twitter, Twitter always, you know, we're always getting new followers each day. So come join the conversation on Twitter. Reddit, we haven't probably put as much effort into that. And we have been banned on a few message boards in Reddit of people who didn't want us to post our stuff in there. Yeah, I know. So, you know, shout out, shout out to them. Fuck you. Besides that, what have, what else have we got? We've got Insta. We've got our Instagram account, which uh, gets gets a bit of stuff happening as well. And the great thing about Instagram is we can just set up a post that flows out to Instagram and Facebook at once. So we're lazy. That works. Yeah, very good. So you're going to tell us today about your journey, right? So this is one of those episodes where you Talk. Therapy episodes, yeah, where you talk. Yeah, I yeah. think that's most episodes, actually, Brian. <laughs> where we talk. Thanks, Yort. Um, I, I, I think Tory Tory is my is my misspelled name. Oh, is it Tory? Of course, Tory. it is. And again, spell check wouldn't pick that up. No, Tori Amos, Cornflake Girl. What a great song. Yeah, play piano, looking sideways. Do you Look remember? You. She used to sit sideways and play the piano. No, with her, I don't. With her leg out. Yeah. Oh, I don't like remember she was that. Air in her, her undies. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to Google this. Yeah. Actually, I'll, I'll do it after the episode. I won't do it right now. Um, so she was also from a religious background, wasn't she? She was an ex-religious sort of Katy Perry star. Ah, was she? Yeah. Ah, I didn't realise that. See, here we are. We're uncovering the hard truths for you people. This investigative journalism stops nowhere and knows no bounds. Today, I, what I want to do is I want to pick up. I did talk about, you know, a few episodes back, and I think it was earlier this season, where I spoke about um, we travelled, my ex-wife and I travelled and ended up at this church in, I didn't say where it was, but I'm happy to actually say where it was. It was in Cairns, which is in far north Queensland, in the tropics of Australia. And that, we checked out, we were stopping there for a few months get some work, get some money to continue on our travels. We stopped at this AOG church there, and that's where that cowboy minister asked us to fill buckets of money, and we should be ashamed if we don't. I want to pick up, I guess, probably the first couple of years in my journey there, because we ended up in, in Cairns after about eight months on the road in Australia, travelling, picking up a little bit of work on the way. 
And it was, a, it was a weird time. I have said this before that I did try out some Pentecostal churches along the way, or both of us did, and I think it was that that place of safety, that familiar space that we did definitely jump into, which attracted us there. Tried it in a, again when we settled in Cairns for a bit longer, but it didn't work. What what I did was we jumped in and out of a few different churches there. We jumped in because I've, I have talked about this, social justice is very important to me. Um, I was attracted to check out the Salvos. You know, we do know the Salvation Army does some great work in the community, does some great work with people who are disadvantaged, and we thought we would give it a shot. We did go along there a couple of times, but and, and this is no disrespect to our Salvation Army listeners, so please don't take it that way, but on a, I think it was about our third visit there, they did actually break out the tambourines with streamers off them and do a full tambourine ensemble. Did with, they do Joy as a Flag Flown High? They, they didn't. Um, I would have joined in if it was that. It was actually a song that I can't, can't remember what it was, but it was sort of a cross between a hymn and something that they tried to contemporise. And I, I, that's all I remember about it. I remember it wasn't actually the style of the song it should have been, but they got the tambourines out. And Well, nothing says contemporary like a tambourine. I, I agree, and so does Bob Dylan. But the the reality is it wasn't it, – it was just – there was things like that all around it. They were great people. They were sold of the earth. Um, who were there, but there was something about it. I, I think we, you know, we really, we come from a charismatic Baptist as our last port of call. We'd been to some Pentecostal churches along the way, so it wasn't quite hitting the mark. So a bit of a question for you. Yeah. What was the religious climate like in far north Queensland? Because I had a sociology of religion lecturer who said he had this idea that the closer you get to the equator, the more fundamentalist they get. So in Australia, we go north, and in America, for example, you go south. And he said that tongue-in-cheek, but that is the way I sort of see far north Queensland being quite fundamentalist. Was that how the the vibe was, or was it because it's a beach town or a a tourist town It was a little bit different? What, What was the vibe? It was a bit different, and I think it's uh, places like Cairns and, you know, the north in general, Darwin is another place that's like this. They're quite quite uh, transient communities, so you do get a lot of people who – it's very hot. It's, you know, it's – Cairns doesn't have a winter. Like, the winter is 27 degrees Celsius on average, you know, very, very warm days. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. Someone can convert it for me, but it's very warm. You get a lot of people who will come up in winter – for work, they'll stay. It'll start to get the build up to the wet season, which is the very, very hot. We used to say it was hot and fucking hot there. And it was getting to the fucking hot time when people would just pull the pin and go, I can't live here anymore. It's a saying, and I don't know if it's international, but in Australia it's gone tropo. Um, and it's for very good reason. Like during that tropical build up to the wet season, um, it is sometimes very difficult to sleep. Um, the days are very hot. The, the rain feels like it wants to come, but it doesn't come. So anyway, a lot of people go. And I think as a, a result of that, you do have a very core community up there. So people who do stay longer definitely band together a lot more. And you're quite often made up of refugees from other states around Australia and some international people who end up there for a variety of reasons and you end up forming family because it's from 
you know, all corners of the earth, people are coming together there without their supports generally. So you do form family. In terms of fundamentalism, uh, I don't know. I, did, I didn't see it, but in the same way, I never set foot in another Pentecostal church after that cowboy minister wanted to hit us up for cash. Fair enough. I, I guess I'm asking that to try and, you know, get the the social temperature of, of the place, right? It's interesting you talk about going tropo because that actually comes from colonialism, right? The idea of these um, British colonials and, and European colonials used to go out into these tropical regions and they would lose their shit. You know, they yeah. would actually go a bit nuts and that's where that comes from, going tropo. I know I felt it a little bit in Singapore, which is also very tropical. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a very real thing. And it, we we found that it became a state of mind. Like you had to accept that it's going to be hot and that's all there is to it. So if you don't accept that, you won't last there. So you, you did, it's a mind game. It's definitely a mind game. But um, in terms of climate, I, it's it's an interesting place. Like it's there was a party here which our Australian listeners would, listeners would be familiar with called One Nation and it was a very racist political party who gained prominence from about 1996 through to you know 2002-ish. They had a lot of power in the Senate and they came to prominence up there in far north Queensland, um, mainly in the rural areas west of Cairns. So you had a, a lot of backward-looking protectionist type feel, but then in Cairns itself was a very alternative community and quite progressive and there was even pockets throughout the the hinterland above Cairns that was quite progressive so you did it was very diverse and um, we were obviously led more into that left-leaning progressive sort of bunch of people and I think that that's where that led us in our journey searching for a church as well yeah so you went the pinko commie sort of track which yeah. is where you still are today really yeah, 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 I've Communist. got worse. I've yeah. got worse since I got older. Um, but, I, I, yeah, we definitely did that. And in our search for churches, I think we probably went to three or four. And I think I've said this before, we would ask for their statement of purpose or their statement of beliefs. And we were really, I think at that time, trying to work out what we believed, what we wanted to anchor ourselves on. So the place that we ended up at was a Church of Christ. And a Church of Christ was a place where I ended my Christian journey as well, many years on from this, but, um, well, many, yeah, maybe 12 years, 13 years on from this is where I walked away from my beliefs and my faith. And But it was a really great community. It, it was quite different. I guess the, the standouts for me when I was thinking about this episode, what were the things that were different? Well, it was it was gentler. It was less judgmental. It was a bit like the the Bapticostal we'd been to, but probably even a step down in terms of being even more gentle, less judgmental, but a no less personal Jesus than the Pentecostals. So what do you mean by that, no less personal Jesus? Well, you know, the, the whole thing about you can have that personal relationship with Jesus, you can have your... You know, Jesus can be your wingman, your support person, that sort of thing that the Pentecostals really hit home with. Well, it was really no different there. I guess it was just communicated in a, a less intense way. Yeah, so it was still Jesus take the wheel. Yeah, totally, totally. But I, I think the way they delivered it was also a way which was being explored by Pentecostal churches as well was they had 
more cafe-style church meetings. Um, so I guess that made it more, I don't know, a bit more personal, less casual, uh, sorry, more casual, less confronting, um, and it just made it a bit more digestible for, for people like myself who were on a bit of a journey of trying to work out what you needed. And I think, you know, in hindsight, it's definitely what I needed. But also when I look back at that time, I think I was already deconstructing. And I think that it was something that had been happening before that. And that was why I was asking some of the questions around what they believed, because I was really trying to hold on to those fundamentals of belief. So I would imagine that it would be not wanting people to tell you what to do and not wanting people to tell you how to think. And, you know, especially after coming out of Pentecostalism where that's really what it was, you you must have been really craving, like you didn't want to let go of the faith, you didn't want to let go of, you know, you wanted Jesus to take the wheel, but you didn't want to be told. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I didn't want to be told. I, I definitely wanted to be part of something. And as I've reflected and with both reflected previously, being part of community and part of something that you felt had a greater purpose was an enormous draw. And moving away from that, came with risks because you felt like, what was I giving up? What was I losing? What was I going to, um, you know, I was going to be worse off if I moved away from this. So I still wanted to be part of something bigger. I wasn't entirely sure what that was. I wasn't entirely sure if I was believing what I was meant to, um, but I was trying to work it out and I was genuinely trying to work it out. Um, you know, this, this community that we came in contact with were incredibly welcoming they were inquisitive um, and they were exploring different ways of doing things and that was evident in their cafe church and the style of how they delivered it they got a quite a different crew coming in through that than they would in their morning service and you know we'd go to both we'd play in both spaces usually not on the same day we were spiritual oncers once again being being part of that and a different way of looking at things and trying and experimenting with your faith, I think, was was something that we were trying to do. Tell me about Cafe Church, because that was something that was sort of thrown around late 90s, early 2000s, at least that I, I was aware of. People would say they're going to, to Cafe Church. Um, I, I never went. I was, I was gone by then. But tell me about it. What's What was Cafe Church? Was it just you just have coffee? Because you used to have coffee when I used to go to church too. Yeah, that's right. Look, coffee, coffee, yes, was definitely a part of it. And definitely not at this Church of Christ, but certainly at other cafe churches I know, they might even have a glass of wine and be very Christ-like. So I know, shock horror. And, um, but a cafe church, I think, was what I probably almost liken it to now. It's a very similar format of when you go to a conference for work. You'll have, you'll be on tables um, with, six or eight other people, you will have someone who's speaking up the front front and presenting, and quite often you'll have breakout groups on tables to have deeper discussion about what's being presented up the front. I think it was very much around that format. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure, but I would imagine that it got borrowed from the corporate space a bit more. Yeah, okay. I, I, I'm seeing that in the individually wrapped Mentos. Yes, yeah. I, I love those, but I like the fruit Mentos more. I'm a, I'm a fan of those. But yeah, and, and I think it connected because it was less confrontational. And you also just got to have a bit of a casual chat with people. You're, probably get, you're connected with people on a deeper level than all sitting in the church bus looking forward at the person presenting or speaking or preaching, whatever you might want to call it. 
So it was more interactive and I really, really enjoyed that. And it got a younger crowd. And one of the things that they were exploring at the time, and I think I may have spoken about this previously, there was a book called The Purpose Driven Church by a guy called Rick Warren. And the follow-up book to that was The Purpose Driven Life. It was a huge thing around, this was late 90s. So this was, well, mid to late 90s. So this book really talked about our personal response to faith and it was to be read as an inspirational type thing. And guess what? Very Christian, over 40 days or 40 sessions that you engaged and you could do it as a home group. You could do it as a personal dedication, as um, a couple or with mates, whatever you wanted to do. And this was a big book. Like this was a New York Times bestseller for a couple of years Um, And it had a really big influence on this church. And this church was very much trying to discover its purpose, not as an evangelical get out there, share your faith, bring people back to the church. That really wasn't a massive driver. It was about how can you actually contribute to your community absolutely as a follower of Jesus and what can your positive contribution be. But it wasn't about going to your local bus stop or train station and preaching to people. It was about finding finding a higher purpose. And the, the opening line to the book was, and, and I'll never forget it, it was something very simple, but it was, it's not all about you. And for me, who, you know, had come from that space where I wanted to be a professionalised Christian, a minister or whatever, it was a step back and going, you know what, it's not all about you um, and it's how can you contribute. So it was, a, a, I guess it was trying to get a different perspective on things and it, and it spoke to me. I guess that's how I see this podcast actually when we do these episodes, when you tell your stories. I think, Troy, it's not all about you. This is about Brian. I think I think that's wise advice. But yeah, that was a huge deal, wasn't it? Even even I can remember this all this talk about the purpose driven. I mean, it it filtered outside of the church, and there was this purpose driven life, purpose driven church. There was what was he from Saddleback Church or something, but still very evangelical, like not necessarily uber evangelistic, but still very evangelical. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know when I was again when I was thinking about this episode is I was like why why was I searching for purpose like what what was it that I was looking for was I looking for a different type of Christianity was I looking for something to express my faith or was I just trying to work out who I was like I we'd just spent eight months on the road we'd experienced things we'd been away from the church for quite a while you know dropping in casually to places and had very different experiences and been exposed to things in the big, brave world that you were sheltered from when you were part of church. You were often sheltered, as we've spoken about many times, from being part of the world. And we'd just been completely immersed. And some of that felt unsafe to a certain degree because it was like, oh, will we get infected with what's happening out there or will we lose our faith or will we see something that's more attractive and and not want to go back to church so there was a lot of fears that sat behind that which is interesting because ultimately that is what happened you you did get drawn away from church so i think that that fear you know whether that was from within you or whether it was given to you externally or both was was quite rational because you knew that people do leave people do walk away yeah, 100%. I think it was just before we actually left to to start travelling. I remember sitting down with friends 
And I'd, I'd had this really vivid dream one night about hell. And it was, you know, a very Christian dream. And it was about falling off this cliff and basically into these raging fires. But I remember waking from it and going, what, what was that all about? And I, I didn't try and seek meaning from it. I actually thought to myself, do I actually believe that? Do I actually believe any of this? Where, where is this? And I remember saying to friends, we're sitting down. I remember Mike's wife going, oh, you know, hey, tell these guys what you told me recently. And I was like, I'm really not sure if I'm a Christian. I actually don't think I believe anymore. And this was before we'd taken off. So this was, you know, post leaving Great Big AOG. And this was being in the Baptocostal. And this was preparing to go away. And I was like, I actually don't think I believe anymore. And these people were absolutely freaked out. Like they were fearful for my soul. And they said, how can you even say that? How can you even say those words? And it was, they were incredibly fearful. And even their their response to that spoke a lot to me. This is this loving God that we're meant to follow, but you guys are so fearful that I would even say those words in question. So it was a, yeah, it was an, an interesting time. Yeah, I, I could imagine, and and I would have, I know myself at that point, I wouldn't have given you any, <laughs> any, any, any love for saying that either, because that would have been extremely threatening. Uh, yeah, look, it was even, it was very confronting to even say it, um, but I'd been thinking it for quite a while, but I was still committed to the journey. I was still committed to trying to find out you know, what was going on. And maybe it was just a different expression of my faith that I needed. Maybe it was just a different, you know, a bit of a cleansing of what I'd been through with the the damage from the Pentecostal space. But one thing I did in that eight months we were traveling and then the four months afterwards was I committed to doing a 12-month journal. And it was a, you know, it was a a fair-sized journal. It was an A4 pages and it had 365 pages and I committed to writing a whole page journal every night and I've only done that a couple of times in my life and never done it for a full year but I remember getting and I've actually still got this journal this is this is 25 years on I remember pulling that journal out and fuck I was damaged I was incredibly damaged. Some of the stuff that I said in that journal, I'm, I'm not even going to say it here because people will go, you are whacked. Um, but I, I was just so messed up. I was so confused. I didn't know, you know, one minute I'm like, hey, I'm not a Christian. The next minute I'm writing down my prayers to God in there. And I, I just had no idea where I was at. And I, I really did feel quite lost. And it, it was, and this is only looking back at what I'd written in it, and it was very much about, I, I think I'd lost who I was, you you know, you're told to do that less of you, more of him, like more of God. Uh, That's what we're, we're told to do in our Christian journey, but we we lose ourselves. We lose a sense of who we are. We lose a sense of who we should be. um, And we become a clone of quite often what the church wants because you're under their control. You know, when you, when you read a lot of the cult stuff, they talk a lot about this diminishing of self and a loss of a sense of self and the pre-cult self and the cult self and the post-cult self. You know, like that, that's, you're really tapping into something that's really quite, uh, I guess, meaningful and impactful around this sort of cult space is the idea of the self. And so it's interesting that you can look back and see that you were diminishing yourself 
for the sake of God. And you're right, you know, you you become more, you know, Jesus becomes more so that I become less. Yeah, and look, I know that we got quite a reaction when we have said in previous episodes, and particularly at the end of episode, uh, sorry, season two, where we both came to that conclusion at similar times going, you know what, we were part of a cult. And for all people, uh, not, not for all people, um, you know, Pentecostal churches aren't always cults. Like we, we do hear that from people, oh, that wasn't my experience. But the denomination we were in and the particular church we were in it was a cult. Like we were stopped from doing particular things. We were um, essentially shunned if you did particular things that weren't seen favourably by leadership. If you were to, you know, go to other churches, you were seen as lesser, all that sort of stuff. You know, it was very cult-like. Yeah, for sure. You This this journey, this this time that you're in, Cairns, you wouldn't have known it at the time, but now looking back, you see you were deconstructing, you were deprogramming, you were rediscovering yourself and your sense of self. Yeah, 100%. I um, I was deconstructing, there was no doubt. And, I, you know, that's only something that recently in the last few years that I would look back and go, that was a deconstruction journey and it was probably the start of the serious deconstruction, like there have been questions before, but definitely this was a, a deconstruction. And I, I was trying to balance still holding on to faith, to Christianity, being a follower of Jesus and still being me. And that's not something I'd been able to, to do before. But what I did was I met a bunch of people. This was far north Queensland. There's a lot of adventure there. I'm a, a bit of an adrenaline junkie. I, I chase the the fun and the adventure, and this provided that. So I had a bunch of people in this church community that love this adventure. They love this fun, but they were also balancing that with still having uh, a faith and still um, being part of a church community and all that sort of stuff. So I was quite attracted to that, and it felt like it was a. Uh, I was still able to hold on to purpose, but also live life and have a bit of fun. And everything wasn't about going to church and a home group every week. And, you know, God forbid, on a weekend you would go off hiking, camping and four-wheel driving, or you go out in the Great Barrier Reef and have a snorkel when you could have been at church. That just wasn't the judgment there. I thought, oh, this is, this is not a bad balance. You know, people didn't seem to have an agenda. We spoke about before there was a, a large cross-section of people came from many different walks of life. And there's there are communities that you do see that in. Big cities, you see it, but people become quite clicky in big cities. This is a regional regional city around the time I was living there. It was about 100,000 people, so not, not massive. So you, you did feel like you were part of a community. So it was... There was, there was great, great things happening. And I think I really got caught up in the, the fun of all that and I became a really strong part of that community. But still, in the back of my mind, what I started to do was withdraw. And I started to go, I started to go is, is, this, is this something that I want to be part of? Do I still want to be a, a Christian? Do I still believe some of this stuff? And I was seriously questioning again. Um, I think I'd been distracted and buoyed by all the fun, the new crowd, the new experiences, the different place I was living. Um, two, three, maybe four years on, I just still wasn't sure that I believed it. So you were up there for quite a long time then? 
I was there for 11 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Did you see other people drop off, like in that community? Was it a sort of a, a last stage for some people? Did they play church for a little while and then just stop believing? Where was the atheism? Where was the walking away? Where was the ex-Christian or, you know, it wouldn't have been called ex-evangelical back then? But did you see that happening and did that worry you or was that tempting? No, I didn't see it. I didn't really see it. Like I was good friends with people who were committed Christians. They they didn't have that same zeal, I guess, that Pentecostal scene had had previously. So you was you di- you didn't get that peer group pressure to if you went at church for a couple of weeks, people of course they would ring you, see how you were going, but they weren't like, hey, you weren't there this week, brother. Um, so it was a very different. I, I think people are a lot more casual about their Christianity in general, and I think that's what I liked about it because it gave me the ability to be quite casual about my faith as well at the same time. But at the same time, I was I was definitely pulling it all apart. I remember this one thing that happened. A very close mate of mine, his dad was what I would have not known at the time, but he was a universalist. So many paths, one mountain. Very, very much he was a, a, a Church of Christ minister, but he's all, he'd also been a Pentecostal minister previously. And I remember the two pastors had gone away. They'd gone to Brisbane to do a course and they asked this guy who was it you know he was an elder there to mine the fort and it was for several weeks anyway he got up and taught universalism he got up and used scripture to talk about how Christianity is just one of the paths to God and he uh, you can imagine the backlash he got but he even got that from me because I was like how can you do this for me this was like a step too far but he did that and what it did from there was it did create a bit of a a fault line I wouldn't say a church split but it was definitely a fault line there was the us and them because he had a bunch of people who I guess respected him followed him and sought his wisdom, here he is saying that Jesus isn't the only way to get to this place called heaven. Ironically, he was journeyed or had journeyed away from fundamentalism. And basically the fault line was between being more progressive and liberal and being true to evangelicalism. Yeah, absolutely. Like it was absolutely bizarre like that this was happening. And I can look back now 20-odd years on and go, that was amazing what was happening then. But for then, I, I was incredibly offended. Um, and I was like, how can, how can you do that? You're in a church here that believes that Jesus is the only way to, to get to this next world, and you're you're coming in and unravelling all that. But, yeah, and it, was, it was very interesting, actually. And I remember because he was a mate's dad, the mate also, I remember questioning him going, do you believe that same stuff? He's like, well, yeah, I actually do. And it really made me look at him quite differently. But for me, you know, it wasn't too long before I started to have the the same thoughts, not from a theological base, but for me it was the angry God, the vengeful God, the punishing God just didn't sit well with me at all. It didn't make sense. And it wasn't just, it was, as I said, it wasn't from a theological view. It was just from me going, it doesn't sit with my head and heart. That's where it, it just doesn't work for me. I remember talking about that stuff with people and, and people didn't get it. 
they didn't understand how I could be thinking anything that strayed from what they interpreted the scripture to say. Did it happen right away? Like, you know, he, he's taken the church for these few weeks and you sort of responded and then within a few weeks of that you were opening up or is this a long, longer journey? It's a much longer journey, yeah. I mean, I, I was definitely still towing the line when he said that. And I don't, I don't really actually think it had an effect on me other than me questioning my mate going, do you believe this too? For me, it, it, you know, I, I think I was distracted by other things at the time. You know, it was around about the time that my oldest daughter was was born. So, you know, we had that going on. I was going back to uni to do my social work degree. So, you know, there, there was a lot happening at that time, broader things in my life, I guess. But I I think it was more my sociological and psych, psychology studies that came next that started. That, that was the stuff that really, for me, unraveled it because there was another truth and, God forbid, a worldly truth, which I dug into. Yeah, well, everybody knows you can't go to university or you lose your faith. That's what happens to people all the time and, well, there you go. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, I, I do think that I, I had deconstructed quite a bit to this point. Like there was a fair bit of activity that had happened in the background that I wasn't even doing consciously, I don't think. There was just a lot of doubt. There was a lot of – I think I've spoken again about this before where I, I just – I was taking things away from the the house of cards and seeing how many I could take away before it fell. And so I'd, I'd stripped it back to bare bones by this time and I wasn't quite sure what I even believed anymore. So I started to, to reconstruct, but I think what I started to reconstruct was such a, a bastardised view of there was theology, there was sociology, there was psychology, and there was just a lot of stuff that I guess when I started to become a little bit more learned and become the brain of the Brian, that I think things for me started to reconstruct in a very, very different way. And it was a way that made more sense. And it and it still didn't strip me of the ability to have some sort of faith, but I was still incredibly embarrassed by that. You think reconstruct or reconstruction is the right word? Or was it just sort of trying to piece together what you still had together with what you're learning now? You know what I mean? Because I think deconstruction is comes to a place where it all in, is in pieces on the ground. Yeah. And I don't know if you'd quite come to that yet. No, you're probably right. I probably hadn't. So I was, I was probably adding bits on to what I'd stripped back to what was a very, very thin, fleshless sort of faith so but I was adding on things that were outside of what would a be bloodless faith. cross brother it was a <laughs> bloodless cross <laughs> it was a bloodless cross <laughs> um, but it was yeah I, look it was an incredibly confusing time and I think life is full of many communities that we come into contact with and the university community for me was a bunch of amazing people which I, I'm still you know 20 odd years on I'm still friends with several of the people that I did my degree with and because they they mean a lot to me and I think they were there in a time where I was trying to put pieces back together, trying to understand who I was and probably recreating myself very much so. I think that was it was a recreation definitely. Yeah, they were your blockbuster video crew. 
They were. That's exactly, exactly what they were. Yeah, the people that are there when you're putting your life back together and you sort of, you know, your heart's in pieces and when you build little pieces of them get built into your into your heart. And I, I can totally get that. I can totally understand that. Yeah, absolutely. And look, there was there was one or two of them that found out that um, I was involved in a church and that I was a Christian. They, you know, found out mainly because one of the other guys who I went to church with also came to uni, but he was incredibly awkward. He was a different sort of dude than I was, and we didn't really hang out outside of uni or church or anything like that. He was a very lovely guy, but a different flavour to me, and he had he very much wanted to be a Christian witness while he was at uni, whereas I wasn't interested. I was trying to distance myself from that. I remember being so embarrassed when a couple of people came up to me. I was like, oh, you go to the same church. And I, I denied it. But one, one oh, of the Peter, people, Peter, did the cock crow three, three times? times? Three <laughs> times. Like, I don't know this man. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like, oh, no, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And one of the, one of the people who's still... Again, a, a good friend of mine. Um, she she's very alternative, and she is the most accepting person. She's going. I've got I've got quite a few Christian friends. Why would you deny being Christian? I know lovely Christians. And then there was other people who were in the same group, and I fucking hate Christians. They're a bunch of hypocrites. They're assholes. They're judgy. And all that. So it was again. It was I, I was trying to just strip that part out of my life, but I was scared too. Was I going to lose my faith? Was it going to go to hell? Was it all those fears of sitting there going, if I let this stuff go, that that's an anchor that I've had in my life for quite a few years now. What is going to happen? And, you know, I'd, I had my, my first daughter and while I was at uni, my second daughter was born. And for me, it was also starting to throw into the mix, do do I disengage from this moral compass? You know, all that stuff you heard that if you weren't a Christian, there's no there's no morality or values out there in the community outside Christianity. So if you leave that and your kids grow up in that, well, they're going to fall into, to you know, shit lives and sinful and they'll be horrible. Um, so I'd, none of that made any logic sense. I had, a, I had a friend of mine, Brian, who walked away from church and he was thinking about what am I going to do with my kids, you know, for morality and everything. And he pirated, you know, downloaded uh, pirate copies of Little House on the Prairie and got his <laughs> kids and every, I don't know if it was every week or however often he would sit down and watch Little House on the Prairie with his kids because he's at least this is some sort of morality. And that was the best he could come up with. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I'd thought of it because I used to love watching Little House on the Prairie growing up. Yeah, so look, I, I was I was scared of that too. So I, you know, I wanted the girls to to have that you know ready built community, that sense of connection, the moral compass, all that. Where will they get it from? And you wanted them to have a purpose driven life. <laughs> I did, and sponsored by Rick Warren. So it, I had so much fear just sitting sitting in there that if I let it go, and it was convenient. We all know this. Churches are convenient. You can pop into just about any church and you can be accepted. You can be part of a community. You can feel and sense a sense of purpose. So in other words, you were basically at a point where you had all this conflict and doubt on the inside but you made a conscious choice to say, I'm not going to let this go because of all these different reasons. Yeah, uh, look, I, I used to quite often, so I'd drop the kids and my wife at the time off at church and I'd go off to a cafe, 
have a coffee, bit of breakfast and read the paper and pick them up two hours later because I just couldn't engage in church anymore. And I did that for, I reckon, over a year of just going, I can't do it. And every now and then I'd go um, and I'd go there and I'd sit there and I'd be restless and I was like, this isn't me. I just don't know if I can do this anymore. But I, I sat, it was, I was sitting between two worlds. So I had my uni and work colleagues and then I had people at church who I truly loved. Like they were, there were some great people and I still used to socialise with them, but I just couldn't do church with them. It was a, a really bizarre time and it wasn't a quick time. Like this dragged on for, for quite a while. You know what's interesting hearing that is whilst, you know, from a theological perspective, you weren't reconstructing, but I think coming back to what you said before, the sense of self, you were reconstructing or or creating or however you want to look at it. You were building yourself, you know, building yourself up in the word, brother. No, you were building mm-hmm. yourself based on, you know, who you were and who you wanted to be and the things that you were. So in that sense, I'll buy into the word reconstruct because it was a, a sense of self. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and probably a shifting foundation to use more Christian words. So it was, you know, I'm not quite sure that the foundation anymore was Jesus or a faith or a church community. I, I think that foundation was getting less and less true. And um, I, w- I was looking for something else. I was looking to, and, and don't get me wrong, I stayed involved in churches for quite a while but I really don't think that I had a great deal of faith. However, I think it was I was just about to sort of cut and run and just go, I, I'm not going to do this anymore. And my ex-wife got quite unwell and she ended up, you know, she she couldn't she, she couldn't parent and stuff for, for a bit. And I ended up having to, you know, I was in my last year of uni and I got, I remember getting my mum to move from the state that she was in to come up and help us for six months because I'm trying to finish uni, I'm trying to work part-time, I'm trying to look after two young children. Uh, and it was a, an incredibly difficult time and it drew me back into the church because it drew me back in because as soon as the chips were down, these people came. What do you need? How can we help you? People were giving money. How can we pay for help you with childcare so we can free you up a bit? How can we pay your bills? How can we come? Can we help you clean the house? All that sort of stuff. Real community. Real community. Real community. And you know these people did it from a genuine place of giving a shit about people. And and even though at that time I, I don't think I, I really have much left in the tank in terms of a relationship with God or a belief, I had a belief in these people because they were the real deal. They were genuine. And in saying this, though, I think it was this lasted, it was a flurry of activity for four or six weeks. And then I remember someone coming around and it was like they were a delegate for the group of people who'd been helping out and said, we can't help with this anymore. We can't contribute money. We can't contribute, you know, helping you out with the house and stuff at this time because, you know, you guys should be back on your feet by now. And I remember thinking, are you fucking serious? Like this is, you know, it was probably the worst time of the crisis because the reality had sunk in that, um, you know, there was a lot of shit happening at home. So it was at that stage my mum came up and my mum was really the rescuer in all of it and in helping me out in the everyday, just trying to, to get through, I guess, and try and survive. But 
I was still drawn in. I was still because, you know, these people had come to my side. They had been there for me when the chips were down. Look, I think for me, I'd, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up here because I'll save my leaving stories for other times because, you know, this was, I think it leaves me in a place where I was questioning a lot of stuff that was happening. I, I definitely, at the time, I was having a bit of a mental health crisis, and I mean that in the true sense of the word. It led me to an incredibly dark place in my life, probably the darkest place I've ever been. I was unraveling, despite this support that was all around me. I, I didn't, I didn't really know what to do. I was still not completely reconstructed or reinvented. So I sort of sat in the middle and I think it just, it left me in a greater crisis than when I had started. So I'm not quite sure that I got to that place where I needed to be um, or wanted to be because I had definitely gone back in to being involved in church when I was definitely on my way out. And I don't think it was all about a crisis of faith. It was probably a crisis of life at the time as well. You talked about mental health issues there. Were you in therapy? Were you seeing someone about this stuff by this stage? Yeah, yeah I was. And so did that, did that therapist speak to you about the religious stuff or did you just separate it, compartmentalise it and didn't go there? Totally separated it. Um, and, you know, for some of, me, some of it, for me, again, as ridiculous as it, it may sound, I was so embarrassed and ashamed about it. I didn't want to identify with my Christianity with to a stranger. This has been my whole faith journey. I've never wanted to sit there and, and witness to people and share my faith journey because I found it embarrassing. And I think for me it's because I've never truly deeply believed it. I, I, I don't think I had that sense of it gave me a sense of purpose, um, particularly when I was, you know, a 17-year-old struggling with identity and per life purpose, all that sort of stuff, when I had come into to Christianity but I really don't think in hindsight, more than 10 years later, that I actually believed it. Like I don't think it was a core thing for me. And that's why outside of the church walls, I couldn't share with people. You know, inside the church was a safe place. And I think that's why I wanted to become a minister. I could put all this stuff that I'd learnt to use inside the walls of the church where I didn't have to be challenged about anything or challenge myself. That's really interesting. That's very interesting. And, and I, I can hear the, the Christian argument saying, well, there you go. See, he didn't really believe the whole time. And so it's not the faith that, that was at fault. It was his faith. Oh, absolutely. And, and I wanted to. Don't get me wrong. I wanted to believe. And there was, uh, there was definitely pockets in my life when I was genuine about it and I was serious and I was committed but deep down, I really don't think I believed it. I don't think I bought into the narrative. For me, I think I still had, because I still had contact all but, you know, those years at Great Big AOG, I still had a lot of contact with non-Christian friends and family who would challenge some of that stuff for me and continue to challenge it. And I would continue to try and sense make it. I would say all the words about that I believed it. But again, deep down, in the bottom of my heart, I really don't think I believed it. Well, that's interesting. And, and, and it's very you know commendable that you can look back and say that because I know the pressure to say that you did really believe it and you've walked away now, you know, in, in spite of it. I mean, that's how I feel. I feel on myself that I did. 
I did yeah. really believe it. Whereas now, now I don't as well. So yeah, well, kudos to you, Brian. 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 <laughs> That's it. Look, it's weird. It's weird. And some of the stuff that I just said only just sort of, you know, really came to light as I was speaking it and, and and only as I was speaking it into existence. But as I was speaking yeah, confessing it, it. Confessing it, manifesting it, brother. No, and, and I think I just, as I'm processing stuff as I'm talking, I'm thinking, I, I really don't think I believe this stuff for a lot of the time. I wanted to. It, it really did give me purpose and it really did give me a sense of belonging to something different and belonging to something that had a centralised purpose. But, yeah. It just, it, it wasn't working. But look, I still had, after this, I still had several years in church. And for me, you know, spoiler alert, but for me, it, I didn't really leave the church until uh, I split with my then wife. So I think that gave me the out to be able to leave with a clean slate, get out. And I've never attempted, you know, 11, 12 years on, 12 years on, I think it is, to go back to a church. And I've never regretted it, never felt freer. But it was still a journey and it was still a journey that was going. As I said, I was in Cairns for 11 years. All of that stuff that I spoke happened within about a seven-year period. So there was still a few years there where I drifted in and out, but I lost a lot of friends in my last three years there and that in, in the church. And that was because I'd really started to push away and I'd really started to carve an identity that was very different to them. Well, I, th I think the thing that strikes me that's interesting is, like you just said, about carving the identity and reinventing yourself and discovering your who you are, having left the the AOG and, and Pentecostalism and eventually Christianity. I, I think that makes perfect sense, you know, and especially taking that cult view of saying this is a cult. It's not just a religion, but it's actually, it was a cult. I think that sort of torment and that sort of torture and that sort of challenge when you know especially when you're not being fed through therapy or even you know sort of counter cult books and those kinds of things i think if you're not getting that then you're on your own and no wonder you struggled so it makes perfect sense to me yeah I, look i wish it did at the time but i think like most things in our lives that don't make sense at the time it's only in hindsight that you get that that full view of it but um you know i'm thankful that i went through that stuff i'm thankful that i went through the processes i do feel like i wasted some years of my life considerable years of my life but there's always some stuff to pull out of that as we've said many a time before um there's some really good stuff in it but um there's a lot of stuff which i, I think i wish i had the bravery to to call it the bravery to say you know what, this isn't for me. I don't think I believe it. And and the bravery to know that I would be accepted in another community, that it wouldn't be, maybe I was lazy, I don't know, but maybe it was confidence. I think it was a blend of all those things. Yeah, I understand. I understand. Uh, that makes perfect sense. It really does, especially in, in light of everything that we've sort of thought about and saying, okay, this is a cult, but we didn't know it then. So, you know, what were you supposed to do? It's 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 not easy. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not. It's not, but it's you know that it makes for good podcast conversation. It does make for it? good podcasts, indeed. I was going to say be, before we do wrap up this episode, um, I just want to remind people to uh, can you continue to connect. I think what this has brought up for me is connection is a really important thing. Um, we've got our Facebook community, we've got our Twitter community, our Instagram community. Jump in. You know, talk, if this brings stuff up for you that 
about your journey and about your doubts and about all those things that you wrestled with over the time, put it out there. Have a chat. There's plenty of people there that I think have got similar experiences. Yeah, and there's people lurking, sort of, you know, just reading other people's experiences. So you don't know if, if you put something out there, how much it's actually going to influence other people and impact them in positive ways as well. So I encourage that as well. It, it's funny because it's our podcast. And so sometimes I feel a responsibility to reply and respond. You know, sorry that I don't always. And, you know, I know you don't always either, Brian. It doesn't mean we're not reading. It doesn't mean we don't care. It's just like you, we've got lives and things to do. Uh, but we we do read and we do feel connected to a lot of those people in that group so you know thanks to those that are that are in there speaking their minds and sharing their stories it's it's really welcome absolutely and you know the community is there for everybody to connect as well and it's there we we know that people have reconnected through it we see some messages in there of people have gone ah you're here and these people yeah someone said they bought they bought jeff bullock's old car Oh yes, yes. I bought your Tarago, Jeff. You know, yeah, that's right. I mean, good on you, Jeff, for having a Tarago. Someone yeah, I had to have one. CDs, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But uh, lots, of, lots, lots happening in the group. Get in there, have a chat, put it out there. It is there to support you, and it is certainly there for you to to get in there and connect with people who might be able to help you on your next bit of your journey, or just reminisce about stuff as you process it. Yeah, indeed. I really want to pray for you now, Brian. I really want to, you know, <laughs> lay hands on you and set you on fit for your ministry. Now that's really good, man. It's really deep. And and I know that for, for some people this is going to be, hey, that's just like what happened to me, or hey, I feel like I'm in that now. So thanks for sharing that. Thanks for making yourself vulnerable. I love vulnerability. It's great stuff. Alrighty. Thanks for that, Troy. Thank you for being my therapist today. Yeah, no I worries. do appreciate it. And um you didn't ask once oh yeah how does that make you feel i thought about that and i thought no i won't ask that because you'll get shitty you'll think i'm taking the piss no for the record it made me feel good all right see you peeps all right see you next week oh no no see you in a fortnight yeah just 14 nights yeah that is two weeks apparently